and welcome back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It is I, your host, Stephen the Don, here to do what I do after every single match week of the Premier League season 2022-2023. This is a recap of Match Day 3. If you guys are loving the episode so far of this new season, please make sure to download, to subscribe, to follow, to leave a rating on the podcast, do all of those lovely things on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. It would be massively, massively, massively appreciated. We are going upwards and onwards. The next aim is to get 2,000 downloads and hopefully we can push on to 10,000 sometime in the future. Of course, that's very ambitious, but you know, with the repetition and consistency, like most things in life, you know, results come. So thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate all the love from wherever you're listening from. It's very, very much appreciated. I'll keep pumping these out like I, like I keep saying I will and I do. And as always, as many of us, much more content coming your way, coming to your screen, coming to your ears, to your eyes, whatever the term is. I don't want to, you know, uh, overload you with the way that, you know, the world is open, has been over, overloading people with media. But I think this stuff is pretty, is pretty interesting. And if you love footy or soccer as much as I do, this is going to be a great place for you to come and just enjoy. Enjoy the words of what I got to say <laughs> with regards to what's happening in the world of football. Starting off straight away, though, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium between Wolves and Spurs in a game of which Wolves had 20 shots to Tottenham's 11, but Tottenham were able to score the only goal of the game thanks to a player named Harry Kane, who I'm certain you guys are probably very familiar with, the player that I'm not the most fond of, but he's now scored two goals in two games, and fair play to Harry Kane. He continues to be the player I thought he would be, you know, uh, and return to be after a very slow start to last season. It's typically, he's not really an August goal scorer, but he seems to be breaking that hoodoo right now, which is obviously great news if you're a Spurs fan and just a football fan in general, because obviously Harry Kane is one of the Premier League's best. Uh, I don't fully believe in this narrative that, you know, he hasn't won a trophy, meaning, mean, which means, or that would indicate, sorry, that he's not a good player. I think that's a lie. And I feel like in football nowadays, the way that the media and the way that we look at things as fans is really shaped and kind of ruined the perception of uh, how we qualify what a good player is versus what an average or just a decent player is. And for me, Harry Kane is one of the best, for sure. It's unfortunate he plays for Spurs, in my opinion, as you know, as a, uh, I'm a fan of a, a London club that he obviously doesn't like. But overall, he played very, fairly well in this game, actually, and... Just to point out the fact that Spurs are going to continue to do this. This Conte uh, system and style of play where you kind of grind out results is something he's known for doing. He's done it at every club he's been at. He's now doing it again at uh, Tottenham Hotspur doing the same thing. Look how I'm talking like him. But, you know, yeah, yeah, you got to uh, tell Ali Kane to score some great goals. I tell him to, uh, you know, hit the ball and when the ball comes to his head. I uh, give him great directions on the pitch. I uh, tell him to, uh, you know, link up play with Sonny and uh, Kulisevsky. <laughs> but the point is, it's a really good, uh, really good game of football. A lot of chances for one team more than the other. And despite the fact that Spurs were definitely put on the back foot from the majority of the game. They still managed to find a way to win, which is obviously extremely impressive. Uh, overall, Spurs, they weren't terrible in this game. Like I said, they had their standout players, Perisic being one of them, who obviously had a very good game, was a key, played a key role in Spurs' success. And of course, Harry Kane scoring the goal of the game as well made it even more interesting. But uh, overall, Spurs continue their good run of form. They're still unbeaten so far in the Premier League, currently sitting in fourth place, only two points off their North London rivals, Arsenal. And now we move on to the next game between Brighton and Luke. Well, that's not true, sorry. Between Everton and Nottingham Forest. And again, this is the game I thought would end in a draw. I said it'd be a nil-nil draw. It ended up being a 1-1 draw. If you guys want to hear my predictions, go to check out my TikTok. You know, my links will be in the description at STS uh squad fc 
I forget, I think that's the name. I ch- keep changing the username all the time. But anyways, you'll see the link in the description. I'll have all my TikTok predictions that I do before every match week there. I thought this game would end up being a draw, and it did end up being a draw. A very tame draw. I mean, it didn't have that many moments of scintillating brilliance from either side. Obviously, both teams just simply not wanting to lose, and the scoreline reflects that. A great goal from Damari Gray, cancelling out an even better goal, you could argue, from Brennan Johnson that opened the scoring or the goal, the goal scoring in this game, the floodgates, arguably for Nottingham Forest in the 81st minute to make it one nothing to the to the Forest men. But for Everton, who again weren't even that bad, but playing with Solomon Rondon as your number nine, you know it's never going to be an easy game for you, and it's going to be difficult to kind of you know break down back lines and have a striker that's able to link up play and play those incisive through passes and find a way to to make himself a menace and a nuisance, which he didn't do that much of. Of course, he had his opportunities, and we do all remember that one chance. And if you don't, he had that one opportunity to go and score for Everton and put the put them one nothing up at the time. But overall, just a very, very forgettable game of football, I'll be very honest. And just like most games, I saw a tweet on Twitter. You guys can, again, check me out on Twitter, too, at Steve Talks Footy. You'll have it again in the description. It will all be there. But I was checking on my Twitter account, and I saw someone say something really, really um, interesting about Everton. They said that Everton play as if they're away at Manchester City, even when they're at home and against any team that they play against. And I thought that was so, 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 so true. Whenever you watch Everton play, they always, always, always sit up and set up to be reserved, to be, you know, uh, what's the word? Just to be very, very cautious and, and, uh, and conservative with their approach, not looking to overplay the, you know, the ball or looking to do anything a bit too expansive or too interesting or too intricate or too tricky or too high risk, high reward, simply settling for what makes sense, the very basic fundamentals of the game. And if that goes well, then they probably won't lose, which is obviously what happened in this game. And if it goes wrong, then they get destroyed. And uh, I feel like against the weaker sides, they can do this, but you'd expect a Frank Lampard team to play a bit more of a, a you know, more of an attacking vertical style of game naturally, no matter which team he's playing against. Obviously, against the Manchester Cities, you want to be smart because they will expose you whether you attack them from the front or you defend them from the back. It doesn't make a difference. They're just going to break you down. That's what they do. But a team like Nottingham Forest, a newly promoted side, you'd think that maybe at home you'd want to put a bit more fight to the game. And I mean, Anthony Gordon, you know, aside from him, who's still linked with Chelsea, and apparently he's supposed to be going to Chelsea within this week. We'll see. Uh, he was obviously a, a, the only real threat that Everton posed to the Nottingham Forest defense. 1-1 overall in this game. Again, an interesting game for the neutral in terms of the fact that you're getting to see what Nottingham Forest can do. And it's always nice to see a newly promoted team give a bit of a fight and you know go ahead in the game, especially away from home, a tough ground like Goodison Park. So that was the best positive you can take away from this. But overall, the type of football was just absolutely dross. It was difficult difficult to watch overall if you've seen Everton and you've been watching them for many years now at least for the last two or three years uh, in the Premier League moving on now to Leicester versus Southampton if you guys know you know because in the past this was once a 9-0 scoreline for the for the uh the Foxes this time it was just a 2-1 loss for Leicester it was just I mean they're playing at home and they, they still managed to always falter in the second half why do Leicester do this only the Lord knows, but every time Leicester City play a football match, they always struggle at in the second half of the game. Always. They are not a second half team. They are first half FC. They are no defense FC. They simply cannot defend and they cannot hold leads. They suck at doing this. And again, this is no vile coming, but let me be honest. Let me call a spade a spade. Let me say what is the sky is blue. The sky is blue. Let's be real here. The, the, you know, the road is black. The road is black. It's cement. It's tar, whatever. It is what it is. James Madison, a player who I've been speaking so highly of, he's literally my background, 
on my Twitter account for a reason. I think he's such a great player. James Madison, he's just so quality. Scoring a very good free kick for Leicester in the 54th minute. And interestingly enough, you know, a player that's been linked with another move to Chelsea, ironically, in Mesti Fofana. Didn't even clap while the rest of the crowd was going crazy because there's one nothing Leicester. He just sat there, you know, like he couldn't be bothered. And he definitely wanted to be anywhere else but the King Power Stadium. A good goal for Madison. Again, very, very well taken and very just direct and clinical finish from the set piece. We know how good he is with the bending and shaping of the his passes and, and his uh, deliveries from set pieces. And now he's able to put it on target and score for Leicester. And I know he scored this goal in the second half, and I was just slating Leicester about how bad they are in the second half. But my point still remains is that even when they take a lead in the second half or whenever it happens, whatever happens in the second half, it's always bad. For Leicester, it's always the negative. So they score in the 54th minute due to a, thanks to a very great free kick. And then Che Adams, who's a player that has been linked with a move away from Southampton within the last couple of weeks, scores two very, very, very good goals in the span of 20 minutes or so. Very, very, very good good performance from him he showed exactly what a number nine is meant to do gave Southampton that you know that leading you know focal point from the front and something a lot of teams are struggling to find right now which is that clinical just traditional number nine that gets you the goal poaching opportunities and he makes sure that he puts them in the back of the net week in and week out if Che Adams can continue like this there's no way on earth Southampton get relegated and I know a lot of people have them to get relegated and rightfully so because they also play some dead football sometimes as well but it's two games in a row now that I've seen Southampton and I've been like okay there's something is ticking here with Ralph Hasenhutl something is moving in the right direction and uh, you can see that it worked in their favor a really good second goal as well from from Che Adams almost like a bicycle bicycle English bicycle kick of some sorts after a great pass from uh, James Ward Prowse as a flick on essentially making it 2-1 and I mean Leicester have so much work to do and I, I do think that they should sell Fofana not only because I'm a Chelsea fan but for their sake so that they can start to take that money that they get from selling him and look to really reinforce the various positions they need to reinforce in their team obviously Madison's a player who's been linked with the move away and I mean, in his defense, and even in the the the, um, the photo he took of himself, you know, in the caption he had on Instagram after the game, told you everything you need you needed to know. I mean, Madison is clearly pissed off and is absolutely sick and tired of having to go every single game, being Leicester's best player, and having no end result to show for it. Just consistently performing better than everybody else, and having to just you know settle for the fact that he'll be the starlight, this you know, the, the spotlight player, but right? everyone else is poor. He said very frustrating afternoon in the end yesterday. And the second photo you can see is just him kind of crouching down with his in like a prayer position kind of with his eyes closed, clearly looking angry. So hopefully for his sake he leaves because he's way too good for Leicester City, in my opinion. I'm sorry, Leicester fans. But moving on now to the next game between Fulham versus Brentford, and I got this game entirely wrong. I thought that Brentford were going to win this game. I should have backed the home team. Should have given the Cottagers a bit of uh, you know a bit of credit. I mean, they've been very good since this first game of the Premier League season. They have been extremely, extremely good. They've been a team that's been difficult to break down, and they create a lot of chances now. I mean, one of the guys who's literally arguably one of the best players in the Premier League in his position, and Joao Paina, got on the score sheet for for Fulham as well. Great header from him. Three uh, two was the score line for Fulham. And uh, it's a good result for Fulham, for sure. You know, to beat your London rivals is always a nice feeling. There's a lot of history between between these two teams having played each other so many times in the championship last season, or in seasons past, not last season, but in seasons past. From Brentford's perspective, they actually could have gotten more from the game and maybe even potentially a draw. I mean, two goals that were scored by Ivan Tony got ruled out, and he scored three in the game because one of them did end up counting. And uh, 
if that had been given, obviously the scoreline is much different. The proceedings are much different of the match. I thought the fact that Fulham were able to kind of put that relentless pressure on Brentford, especially through the later start, later, later stages of the game, is what allowed the likes of Alexander Mitrovic to step up and be the dawn that, you know, just stamps his foot on and says, I'm going to win the title, just like he did against Trent. He did it again against Brentford and put the ball in the back of the net. In the 90th minute, on the last-minute winner, excellent way to win. It's always great to win that way. Terrible to lose that way. And Fulham go on to win 3-2. Just a quick shout-out, like I said, to Paina. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. What a great player. I think he was very good, obviously. I mean, Brentford's team is also very good. This is a really good, hotly contested game. Two teams that are full of life, full of energy, have something to prove and to kind of say and make a statement as to why they are in the Premier League. They're not overlooked, which they often are by the neutral Premier League fans. But this game showed you what the classic Barclays Premier League or whatever you want to call it. That's what we used to call it. The English Premier League can look like now and just show you how you know exciting and exhilarating each game can be, even with teams that aren't of the top six ilk. Because if I'm being very honest with you, most of the top six teams, barring Arsenal, have looked quite subpar this so far this season. So, I mean, United and Liverpool are playing right now, so we'll see what happens with that. You guys will get a prediction on that as well, or a reaction from that, sorry, uh, after the game on my TikTok later as well, sometime in the in the next days or two. But good game from Fulham. Really impressive performance for them to keep this good form. I mean, we were all expecting them to completely capitulate from minute one, from match day one. That's not been the case. They've been much better than that. And that just shows you that clearly there's a there's there's a bit of a formula that they're using and this Marco Silva system is seeming to work. I'm not really the biggest Marco Silva fan, but let's be honest, this team is, has that nice chemistry, that bit of gelling, that bit of combination play that we haven't seen from Fulham in the Premier League for, ho- for who knows how long now. So big up the Cottagers, very, very impressive performance. On to the next match now when we come back, and it's going to be the following games that I'm going to look to cover which are Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa, Arsenal versus Bournemouth, Brighton versus West Ham, Leeds versus Chelsea, and Manchester City or Newcastle versus Manchester City. And now back to Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Again, this was a very, very, very good game. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this game. I thought it was really just a... A nail biting, but not for the reason that you're worried. Because I mean, I'm a I'm a Palace fan, a secret Palace fan. You guys know that. Them Burnley and Chelsea, the three teams that I keep an eye on. I still watch Burnley to this day, actually. And I was mad that we lost against Blackpool. But anyways, um, Wilfred Zaha. Let me just say that name one more time because he did score twice in this game. Wilfred Zaha, Crystal Palace's legend, their cult hero, whatever the term is. Palace three. Aston Villa won. Villa looking like they're going to get relegated with the way that they're playing. Wilfred Zaha and this Patrick Uncle Pat, Patrick Vieira-esque style of play just absolutely tormenting this Villa team from minute one to minute 90. And it was really a game where Villa just looked the way more dominant, confident, and had that more self-belief. Of course, the home crowd was the home crown. The home crowd was backing them and was, and was urging them on to go forward and to you know really put the the put the, the foot on um, Aston Villa's necks. Wilfred Zaha scored two fantastic goals. Really, really, just a complete performance from him. I thought he was excellent. That just showed me that you know he's, he can be that guy. He's not scored three goals in two games and. I think it's four goals in two games or three games or something like that. But he's just been really, really good since the season started. And he has a chip on his shoulder to say, I want to be the main man for Palace. And I'm going to lead us to a much more promising finish than what they've done for years. 
Uh, of course, uh, Ollie Watkins did score in the fifth minute for Aston Villa. And for Villa fans, this is probably a very ter- t- tumultuous and a bit of a deja vu that we've seen with Dean Smith, where, you know, you get the right players, you know, you make it to the Premier League, but you just struggle against teams you know you should be doing better against. And Villa, on the other hand, they really look like a team that could really, really struggle this year. I don't know what's happened to them, but I don't get the same confidence that I thought I would, especially given where most of us have predicted them to finish this this season. Villa have looked poor, like really, really poor. And uh, even though they scored a good goal, I mean, again, Watkins finding a way to, to get on the score sheet, that was impressive. But overall, their entire performance and football is a match of, of 90, not a match of, of five seconds or whatever you score a goal. They wasn't complete enough, and that's part of the reason why I thought they struggled. And uh, Villa and Crystal Palace took, took advantage of them, and that happened again through Jean-Philippe Mateta, who I think, by the way, has been a very good signing for Crystal Palace. He doesn't play enough. He doesn't get as much recognition or as much love as I think he should get given his ability. But when he does play, he's often a threat. And he was again for this, uh, for Palace's third goal to make it 3-1. Now on to Bournemouth versus Arsenal. I mean, where, where, where do I go with this, man? I mean, Arsenal have been easily the best team in the Premier League so far this season. Yes, I know they haven't played anybody really noteworthy of yet. I mean, Palace, they did beat fair and square and that's fair enough, but that game could have gone differently on a different day. But again, Bournemouth nil, Arsenal three, you know, goals from Martin Odegaard and a goal from a wonderful goal from William Saliba, even a goal that was chalked for offside against Gabriel Jesus, who again was extremely good in this game. I mean, the link up play and the fact that Arsenal just creates so many chances time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, it's, it's really, it's starting to reach like peak levels of like, creativity, chance creation, excitement, enjoyment, you know, guaranteed victories, things that you want when you're an Arsenal fan. This is probably the best Arsenal I've seen in a, in a while. And again, I'm still not fully backing this whole Arteta thing, but I can say that he's clearly getting them to go in the right direction. Whatever that means, they look like the best team in the Prem right now by far. Uh, I thought the way Arsenal played, they completely bossed the Bournemouth team who literally put out like a championship-worthy lineup. Uh, it was not a team that I was. I think anybody was going to be threatened by, unless your name is Chelsea, because we always lose against Bournemouth. If you know, you know. But Arsenal were really good in this game and were well worth their their, their victory and, and worth the reward of winning. I thought the football they were playing was absolutely just so slick and fluid and simple, but also with a bit of intelligent, you know, interplay that we don't we always associate with Arsenal, but we don't always see when they play against certain oppositions, especially in recent years. And they have their identity that stays. Of course it does, but sometimes it doesn't keep the same way because of the personnel or because of the lack of chemistry. And in this game, the chemistry was, and as it has been for the first three games, was absolutely brilliant. It was really, really a good game of good performance from Arsenal. They play Fulham next, which should be interesting, but you still expect them to win that because Arsenal have been on a fire, fiery run of form. And they deserve it. They've been very, very good. And they obviously they've been unbeaten in the last like thing, like ten or eleven games dating back to preseason, which is and they've like conceded like two or three goals or something like that. Something ridiculous. It's been really, really, really impressive for Marcel. They really look like a, a team that to be reckoned with. And if they can keep up this form, then they're gonna be going for you know, much bigger things than we expected them to in earlier this season. I won't jump the gun. I know it's only too soon. It's too early in the season to make such bold predictions, but the trajectory that they're on looks very, very promising if you are an Arsenal fan. Now on to West Ham versus Brighton Munich. And why do I call them that? So you're saying, why do you call them Brighton Munich? Because they play like Bayern Munich with the team that has Brighton-esque players. This Graham Potter guy really needs more respect. He does. He needs. He needs. It's an essential. He deserves. It is, it is his honorary uh, credit that needs to be given to him. He is that guy. 
Every time Brighton play anybody now, not even big team, small team, they find a way to get a result. They beat West Ham at the, at the London Stadium, which is extremely difficult to do. West Ham rarely lose at home. They're not a team that often get cooked at home, as we say. But this season, West Ham have been appalling so far. And I think they won in their you know Europa Conference League uh, game earlier in last week. But I don't think that was translated well enough. And it was clear that it didn't translate well enough in the game between them and Brighton. I thought Brighton were... By far, the more, just the more, the more adventurous. They had more of like more options to their game. It seemed like they had more men on the field at some points. I just said this West Ham team is struggling, and I know they had some chances. Of course, at home, expecting that at least carve out some opportunities. And Brighton didn't even create that many chances themselves. But according to XG, which we all call them XGFC for a reason, they expect the goals had Brighton definitely winning this game. So it just shows you that the overall proceedings were fell in the favor of the team that deserved to win. And uh, it made it clear to me that this Brighton team is really, really, they're, they're very dangerous. They are very, very, very dangerous. And they have that element of of unpredictability. And even when you're seeing players that you've never heard of, you know, like, what's the name? The Moises, Ka- Mo- Moises Caicedo, who we didn't really know much of until the end of last season. And then the other guy that played as well, which I believe his name is, uh, is one of the guys that came on. Karu Mitoma and Purvis Estupanyan, who are both very, very good players, by the way. Brighton's talent ID and with, you know, matched with their or coupled with their excellent manager allows them to literally find players and make them into brilliant players in the blink of an eye. He's really, really that good. I have to give him a lot of credit. I think he's an excellent coach and he'll continue to outperform other managers with better teams because of how good he's getting or how well he's making his teams play. Again, Brighton, goal from Alexis McAllister, as well as one other goal to make it 2 nothing final score. Leandro Trussard, who again, what a glorious pass from Pascal Gross. That's the kind of football that I want to see at my club. That intricate, intelligent, without looking behind the, you know, behind the back, whatever, whatever, flick into in behind the defense, one on one, have someone who's clinical like Trussard. He hits his little binocular celebration. Bob's your uncle. Game over. Now onto the game that I really don't want to talk about, but I have to because that's part of my job of me doing this podcast. Chelsea. Zero leads three. What a terrible performance from the Blues. What an absolutely horrific performance. This was truly shocking, truly appalling. What a diabolical performance from Chelsea. From minute one all the way to the end of the game, we all knew that Chelsea were going to get destroyed. At least I knew. I woke up this morning, that morning and th- thought to myself, I can feel a loss coming today. I just knew it. And that's partly because of the injuries and partly because of personnel, all those things. But I just said to myself, this lead team always wanted more than us. Whenever we play against them, we always beat them on a very, you know, lucky um, deflection or, you know, penalty that's given to us in our favor, whatever it is. And they just wanted it more from the beginning, right from the off. You could feel it. Jesse March was leading on his American troops, as you can say now, you know, like soldiers in, in the army. And they just... I mean, not only that, but to have a goalkeeper like Edouard Mendy, who literally makes the same mistake at least five or six times every single season. He did it last year. He's probably going to do it again. And to feed the opposition goals at crucial times in the game will only lead to one result for the team who has that keeper making that mistake. And a loss. Watching Jorginho, who I, I'm actually probably not going to say that. I won't even say his name anymore. From now on, I'm just going to say number five on Chelsea. Watching him next to Conor Gallagher in a double pivot for Chelsea, which I made a whole thread on this on Twitter, by the way. I actually posted it on Instagram. It's pretty interesting. But I spoke about the fact that we don't have a balanced midfield. Leeds' midfield was way more balanced. And they ran 10 kilometers more than us 
with such the first stat. And secondly, the possession, despite the us having way more possession, we did nothing with it. This is why I'm telling you that when you have a balanced team and everyone knows their role and they're all playing in the correct positions on the pitch and correct, uh, they have the correct um, areas of the field to control and to be and to be influencing. It goes in your favor. Leeds had that everywhere across the field. And Aronson and, Har- and Harrison and, and uh, Rodrigo Moreno, all the guys who scored were literally the best players on the field by far. Uh, I thought Chelsea could have scored the opening the scoring uh, with uh, Raheem Sterling, who literally missed the net by a centimeter. But until he scores for us, it's going to keep being, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? I think it's going to happen soon. He's too good not to score. But this Chelsea team doesn't create anywhere near enough chances. We don't have that creative 10 that's looking to really ping those, you know, in, in behind through balls like a Madison. We don't have that DM that's able to give some de- defensive solidity or be that enabler, which you'll hear me use a lot nowadays, and allow the opposition to, or sorry, allow his, his own team to go on and just a- apply relentless pressure without worrying about conceding goals, etc., etc. I just really, really, really... I wasn't surprised because it's very obvious and what, what the problems are. And until we get a whole new midfield section that of, you know, 31 year old Kante who gets injured every two games, a Kovacic who gets picks up an injury, you know, with just looking at him or a number five who literally can't do anything. He's the most useless defensive midfielder. I think I've seen, uh, at least for Chelsea. Um, and I generally do believe that. Uh, but yes, he was epitomized with the Kalidou, Kulabali, second yellow, sending off, which is so unnecessary. It was just really, really a terrible day at the office. And then finally, to hear Thomas Tuchel's words after the game, which just really just, it, it tore me because I really like this guy. I'm a huge fan of him and I think he's a great coach. But to hear his words and him saying that, oh, you know, it's nothing to do with the midfield or we don't need to change and, you know, and alter certain positions on the, on the, on the pitch for the team. It's just like a one on one off. This guy is clearly in the clouds. He must be trying to protect some egos by saying this because it's obvious that what I saw in this Leeds game is something I've seen at Chelsea for the last three or four years. The only difference is with previous managers, we play more attacking football. With Tuchel, it's more pragmatic. It's more uh, moments-based. And it's one of those things where because we don't create enough chances consistently, when we do concede a goal, the game is over. I literally said it. As soon as Leeds score, I said, yep, this game is done. Because Chelsea's mentality, first of all, and the way that we play, which is sometimes they're a bit in tandem, they're connected, leads to instant losses. As soon as we concede, especially the way we concede, thanks to Mendy's, again, stupid, you know, I'm a great goalkeeper that can use his feet. No, you can't, my guy. Just focus on throwing and kicking it full blast. We don't want to see you be, you know, prime Neymar at Santos. You are not that guy. But seeing that just told me that immediately the game is done. And I don't know what needs to happen. Either Tuchel needs to change his system or find those correct profiles to bring in or, or stop misprofiling players. Because if I have to watch another Mason Mount on the right wing as a midfielder playing as a right winger, I'm done. If I have to see Conor Gallagher playing in a six and a double pivot when that's not his role, he's literally one of the most gifted attacking offensive midfielders the Premier League saw last season. And this year, we're not seeing any of that because of where he's being told to play. We're limiting everybody and we're playing them out of position. And when you do that, you're guaranteed to lose. When you don't play a player, when you, last thing I'll say before we move on, when you don't play players in their correct roles, you will suffer, you will lose. Because if you're having to rely on individual brilliance over and over and over and over and over again, you will get found out sooner or later. The system needs to create chances, not the individuals. This is what Chelsea have been doing for too long now. Example, with Eden Hazard at the club, when we were changing managers every day, every two or three months is what it felt like. But the game was literally, and Chelsea's game was, give the ball to our best player. Hopefully he creates something for us and we'll just defend for our lives. That can't happen anymore. You need to find a way to have a team that creates numerous chances based on the way the system works, the style of play operates and, and functions. 
we don't have that. Leeds did. Leeds will continue to, and they're probably going to be very good this season if they keep making the acquisitions that they're doing. It's going to be a good year for them, and a very bad year for Chelsea, which, again, I could feel from the beginning of this season. I said it in my predictions episode, and it's becoming true right now. Moving on. That was I had a lot to say there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving on to Newcastle versus Manchester City. Money City versus Money United. What a game of football this was. This was truly just breathtaking, eye-catching, mouth-watering, jaw-dropping. Whatever adjective you want to think of, you can apply it to this game. It was really, really something to behold. This is one of the best games I've seen in the Premier League for a, a while. Like you could, do, Every single moment was something different was happening. You had the St. Maximin who was destroying every single player on Manchester City's back line. Then you had Kevin De Bruyne who was picking passes out with his eyes closed. Then you had Erling Haaland who was bullying defenders later on in the game. Bernardo Silva who, again, helped open the scoring with a great pass to, to find Ilkay Gundogan. And the way the game shifted in momentum was really nice to see. That's what football is meant to be in the in its most purest form. Of course, when you're dominating, one team has the momentum and they win. But when you don't, you see a 3-3 result the way it ended here. And again, just a really good game of football. I thought Newcastle grew into the game very, very well. Normally, that when teams lose against Sydney, they kind of fall into their shell and get scared and just look to you know damage limitation. But Newcastle gave them a fight. And they could have easily won this game about if they... Uh, if they had played, let's say with more vigor, but they have the, the, the similar personnel that City have. It could have been a long day. It really could have been a very, very long day. And um, it just showed you that Newcastle are on the up and they have they have that uh, that belief that's pushing them on. And Eddie Howe is clearly getting the best out of these players. And he's also showing me that he's a bit of a floor raiser himself. There's some guys in this team that shouldn't be playing you know, for a club with this much ambition and, and investment coming in, but they're still playing and giving him 10 out of 10 performances. Joel Linton was great yesterday. Almiron, who scored the first goal for Newcastle, was excellent. I know he missed a sitter, but he was able to rectify that with, a, again, a very well-crafted goal from Alain Saint-Maximin. At the time of recording, they've just signed Joao, they've just signed Joao Pedro from Watford, who is a fantastic player. So you look at these things, you say, this is a team looking to definitely become the next Manchester City of the next 10 years, and I think they can do that. The way they were able to go 2-1 up as well was very impressive thanks to Callum Wilson. A good goal, looked very well created again, thanks to St. Maximin. And then to have Kieran Trippier cap it off with a 3-1 with a, what a bullet of a free kick that was. If you guys haven't seen that, you have to have seen it. It was absolutely mad, that free kick. It was crazy. Good free kick from Trippier. 3-1 to Newcastle. And then, of course, in the second, same time, in the, so six, seven minutes later, in the second half, all this happened in the second half. Uh, the, the goal from Trippier and then the goal from Haaland and Bernardo Silva that was, which, by the way, we'll get to in a second. But what a game of football this was. It was really, really, really something to behold. And I was just so, like, my emotions were all over the place. And I knew Haaland would score because I've seen him so many times do it. He's just that guy. He's Mr. Inevitable for a reason. Inevitably, he scores again, and he makes it 3-2 at the time. Still in Newcastle's favor. And then it was made 3-3 in the 64th minute. Only three minutes later, thanks to a what a... This is what we call elite, 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 pinpoint accurate, you know, incisive, cutting, you know, chainsaw through butter, cutting through a defense like there's no tomorrow. Kevin De Bruyne passed to Bernardo Silva. What a pass that was to make it 3-3. Bernardo Silva taking a very delicate, very intentional touch Passing it, playing it past the keeper, Nick Pope, who's obviously been very good this season so far. Great signing for Newcastle. 
making a 3-3. And the game got super interesting in KG. Red card that was overturned that was given to Trippier initially, which I thought was actually the correct decision in the end. But it did look a bit reckless, but it is what it is. Uh, overall, very good game of football. Very interesting. And if you guys haven't seen this highlights, I'm telling you, this is one of the best games I've seen in the Premier League for years, at least between these two teams, especially. It was really, really a neck and neck game. I just gave you everything you're looking for as a, as a football fan and why I love watching the sport and why I do this podcast at the end of the day. But when we come back, finally, we'll be doing the fraud of the week and the golasso of the week. And that will be at the end of the episode. And now onto the fraud of the week. There could only be one real fraud of the week. It's obviously Chelsea Football Club. Uh, it actually should be more specifically Thomas Tuchel with the lineup that he chose. How he chooses to ignore the fact that Ethan Ampadu exists in his team and he had him on the bench. And I say this because I feel like you need a physically demanding and, and powerful defensive midfielder in order to play the system that Tuchel wants to play, especially that he wants to change to a four. And we did do that in the second half against Leeds, but it was to no avail because obviously the game is way out of reach by that time. But uh, I just felt like he just really got it all wrong. And like I said, his words after the game just really scared me. He told me that he does not, maybe he's saying this for like a, maybe he's saying this, you know, like I said, to, to protect egos and emotions, but he needs to be a bit more vigilant and aware of uh, what's really happening of uh, at, at the team and, and with the squad. There's many guys that need to go. Like Jorginho can go. Kante can go. Like you want to revamp that area. You need to. We keep, we keep allowing this dead midfield that hasn't done anything domestically for years and expecting it to, you know, finally bear fruit that's like taking a, a, a you know a rotten banana and expecting it to give you a ripe flavor when once you've opened it up and eaten it no it's gonna taste sour it's gonna taste bad it might poison you you might die i'm exaggerating but you know what i mean and that was just really really sad to see of course the manager i like so much but again the delusion is clearly kicking in and sure sh- sooner or later sh- surely you know this keeps going in this in this direction on this path Things may not end well for him, and I'm saying that now for match day three. So, as a Chelsea fan, so be be prepared for future, you know, um, discussions on Chelsea. He's my fraud of the week, and Chelsea as a whole were my fraud of the week. They were shocking, but onto the goal of the week, which has to go to none other than William Saliba for Arsenal against Bournemouth. The third goal of the game, ball comes out back out to him from the corner kick, finds his way to Saliba, or good pass from Jack Ashley to Saliba. Sorry. And it was an absolute glorious finish on his weaker left foot. The keeper had no chance, making it 3 nothing. Again, a very, very comfortable and composed finish. Very Saliba-esque. Just a very, very, very cool, level-headed defender at such a young age, but with so much experience already in his game and his style of play. Just so elegant and natural and, and just that God-given talent. You can tell he can do everything, basically, at the age of like 21, 22. Very, very good player. Making it one 3 nothing to, to Arsenal and a very, very, you know, uh, way, this cool and delightful way to end the game overall. And I thought uh, it was very sweet to see for, as, you know, as an Arsenal, I'm, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but for Arsenal fans and football fans alike, just a very, very good goal, very good finish. Uh, especially from, especially from a center back, which we never really expect. Center backs are not typically supposed to be the goal scorer, but when they are and you score goals like that, it makes it more impressive. But, uh, that will be the end of the episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for listening. As always, please make sure to download, to subscribe, to, you know, to leave a rating on the show, to leave whatever you, whatever you got to do to make this show continue to grow. I would massively appreciate it on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. I'd really, 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 really uh, appreciate the, the love and the support that's already being shown. I would appreciate it even more. You know, I can never, the more the merrier, as they say. So. Thank you guys for listening. As always, this has been the Don. Welcome to the Don Squad. Come and pick up a jersey if you're new. Sign the contract. Become a member of the club. 
All of the above. I'll be back again soon. But for now, I'm out. As Chris Breezy once said. Deuces! Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.